We're going to go back to this series that we've been doing about the problem of evil. We took a couple weeks off. I'm going to finish the first part. Everybody say the first part. I'm going to finish the first part of the series today. Then we're going to have a break with Tyler and Felicia. They're going to minister. And then I'm going to talk about it some more because I have a lot more to say. And we're not anywhere near done. But we're going, to, we're going to keep after this thing. What we're trying to do is understand why there is so much evil in the world. And this is really the fundamental question is, is what, what is going on in this place where we live? What kind of world do we live in? Do we live in a world where God sovereignly controls everything and therefore all, all evil is an expression ultimately of His will? Or do we live in a world which I contend that's filled with billions and billions of free agents and that all of our choices are interacting with one another in complex ways. There are humans and angels and demons and there are animals and all these things are interacting with each other in genuine ways and sometimes that produces evil occurrences because of the evil wills of people and demons and so forth. What kind of world do we live in? We said that the study of, of the problem of evil is called theodicy. Everybody practice saying theodicy. theodicy. There, there are, in Christianity, typically two branches of theodicy. There are, there are blueprint theodicies, which teach that everything is part of the plan, and that ultimately all evil exists because it furthers some greater good. This is the position of Augustine and a lot of the church after him, after the first 300 years. Prior to Augustine, most people held to what was called the warfare theodicy, which is what I believe in, which is that evil does not arise because of the will of God. It arises because people have real free will and there are demonic entities that have free will and, and God's not controlling all those people and sometimes we do, people... In, and demons do terrible things. Amen. We believe, then, that the, the biblical picture of life is not of a God secretly willing evil for greater purposes, but rather God is actively engaged in an ongoing war of attrition against the various evils in the world. And war is messy. And it's not always fun. And whether you outwardly agree with me or not, most of you agree with the warfare theodicy because you lock your house at night. If God is controlling everything that happens and nobody can break into your house without His permission, it's pointless to lock your door. Because if it's the will of God for them to get in there, they're getting in. But <laughs> I contend that God isn't controlling everybody and that God isn't sending thieves to your door. And so you ought to lock the door. Because you might keep some of them out. And praise God, my grandpa died and he gave me his gun. And so now <laughs> I'm packing. Now, I don't believe Jesus wants us killing people, but I mean, if they come in my house, 
I'm not going to mess around. Hallelujah. All right. So, might need to figure out how to use it first. But anyway, <laughs> Pastor Josh is going to help me. Thus far, we have tried to spell out what the warfare view looks like. And I've just tried to say that there is, first of all, this council of divine beings that God created, angels, and some of them rebelled, and they subjugated humans, and entire nations and groups of people have fallen under demonic lies and bondages, and that creates all kinds of problems. And then I've also said that people have free will and that they exercise their free will in, in terrible ways sometimes. I've explained it. I haven't defended any of that. And I'm not going to today. In two weeks, I'm going to start to defend free will and then I'm going to talk about time and I'm going to talk about quantum physics and some other stuff and it'll be really interesting. But right now, I just want to try to explain how the warfare model suggests we should think about specific evils in our lives. In other words, why did specific bad thing happen to me? And that's a really loaded question. But it's the question all of us have. Why did the tornado hit my house? Why didn't it hit my neighbor's house? Why did this disease happen? Why did... etc., etc. Those are difficult questions, right? And we need to have thorough answers to them. And what I'm concerned about is that often in church we get partial answers that are oversimplifications, which help us for a little bit, but in the long run cause damage. Job deals with these issues. I thought I understood Job about a year ago, but then I read some more stuff and I understand it way better than I ever have. And it's so encouraging once you really understand what's going on. Job deals with this issue. Job has the worst possible day you can imagine. In one day, he loses his family, all of his money, his livestock, his crops, and he loses his health. Or over a couple days. I don't know how long the, the time frame is. He has a terrible situation occur, and most of the book is trying to answer the question, how could something this bad happen to Job? And then at the end, God comes and gives an answer. And I thought really before that his answer was sort of a non-answer and that he was just trying to get Job to humble himself, which he was, but he was also explaining more than I realized. But before we talk about what God says, let's talk about what Job's opinion was. Job had an opinion about why this bad stuff happened to him. His friends had a different opinion, and most of the book is them arguing. Do you understand that if there are two opinions and they don't agree, they can't both be right? Okay. All right. Now, I mean, sometimes there's nuance where you can bring two opinions together and whatever, okay? But what I'm going to show you is that Job says something, and then his friends say something, and then God says something entirely different. In that situation, who should you agree with? God. Yeah, probably God. I stress this because when I taught this before, somebody got really mad at me because they, they thought I was saying the Bible's not inspired. No, the Bible's inspired. Every word in here is God-breathed. God told whoever wrote Job to write down the stuff Job said. But that does not mean that everything Job said is right. Because God directly contradicts Job. 
at the end. And then Job says, I had no idea what I was talking about. Which, which invalidates pretty much everything he says. So pulling a whole bunch of theology from stuff Job says is not smart. Why? Because he said at the end, I said a whole bunch of stuff, and I was an idiot. Don't listen to that stuff. That's what he said. So you're not meant to read the Bible as though every single verse carried equal weight. You're not meant to read the Bible that way. I know that may sound sacrilegious, but Jesus, Jesus said that John was the greatest prophet. Did he say that? What he meant was that John knew more than all these other prophets. And then he said, but he who's least in the kingdom is greater than John. And in 2 Corinthians 3, we find that there's more light in the New Testament than in the whole Old Testament put together. Which means if I want to understand the Bible, i got to start with what Jesus said and what Paul said and Peter said, not with all this stuff in Job. All right, But anyway, let's not major on that. Let's read what Job said in chapter 30, verses 19 through 26. And Job is talking about God here. And he says, God has cast me into the mire, and I am become like dust and ashes. I cry unto you, and you did not hear me. I stand up, and you did not regard me. You are become cruel unto me. And your strong hand opposes yourself against me. You lift me up to the wind. You cause me to ride on it and dissolve my substance. For I know that you will bring me to death and the house appointed for all living. Howbeit, you will not stretch out your hand to the grave, though they cry in his destruction. Did I not weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. Those are some strong words. Job is saying, you know why this happened? Because God is a cruel, vindictive God, and he did this to me. That's what he said. You've become cruel unto me. You've done this, God. And moreover, I'm a nice guy. I help the poor people. And I thought, I thought the world was based on karma. And I thought good karma was going to come to me because I helped some poor guy. And now everything bad has happened to me, and it's your fault. That's what Job says. His view is a version of the blueprint model. Job assumes that everything that's occurring in his life is the will of God. Therefore, he blames God for the situation. That doesn't mean he's right, but that's what he's doing. And there's still a lot of people that do that today. Well, his friends have a different opinion. Let's read his friend's opinion. This is pretty horrible. I feel bad for Job, really. Job 22, verses 5 through 10. This is what Eliphaz says about him. Is not your wickedness great, and your iniquities infinite? <laughs> how, would you like, how would you like somebody to say, oh, aren't you an infinite sinner? Anyway. <laughs> for you have taken a pledge from your brother for naught. You've stripped the naked of their clothing. Man, you, you, they're naked people, and you took away the clothes they didn't even have. Well, I don't even know how you can do that. You, you have not given water to the weary to drink, and you have withholden bread from the hungry. But as for the mighty man, he dwells in the earth, and the honorable man dwells in it. You have set wind, you have 
excuse me, sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. Therefore, snares are round about you, and sudden trouble has come upon you. Eliphaz says, Job, this all happened to you because you're a rotten, evil person. And you stole a bunch of stuff, and you were mean to people, and you sent people away empty, and, and that's, that's the problem, you're scum. And if you're a better person, God would have been nicer to you. Hopefully you don't have any friends like that, but, but this is a position called victim blaming. And what victim blaming does is it assumes that the world, once again, is a fair and balanced place, and that if something bad happened to you, you must have deserved it. Do you know that children naturally have this belief? This is why if children are abused, they will blame themselves. And if left uncorrected, they'll assume that they deserve the punishment or deserve the bad thing happening to them. But how many of you understand, if kids are being abused, they don't deserve that. Why is that happening? Because there's evil in the world. It's not the kid's fault. Job's friend's position is basically the same thing. It's, it's reasoning from the blueprint model. It's reasoning from a belief that God is controlling everything. And so they just assume, well, God must be just, so if you're having these terrible things happen, it must be because you're a terrible person. Their position is blame the victim. Job blames God. They blame Job. Now, before we talk about what God says, let's just point out briefly that it is possible that suffering can occur because someone is doing the will of God. In 1 Peter 4.19, uh, Peter talks about suffering according to the will of God. But he's not talking about God doing something terrible to you. If you study the whole Bible, he's talking about the fact that Paul did the will of God, and as a result, people persecuted him. You ever notice that? You ever notice if you're doing the will of God, sometimes it costs you relationships. Sometimes people get mad at you. Sometimes there's pain involved in serving Jesus. Also, Paul said that something comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. What he means is there's, there's just pain sometimes associated with doing what God's called you to do. You don't want to focus on that. You don't want to make a big issue about it because if you focus on it, it, it gets bigger, but it is a reality that Paul faced. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes life's hard, and you, know, you could quit. You could run away and quit doing what God told you to do, but you shouldn't. Right? It's also possible, let's acknowledge this, is it possible to suffer because of poor choices that we make? Of course it is. Galatians 6.8 says, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. That means if, you know, if I go spend all my money and rack up a ton of credit card debt, and then I don't have any money and I get kicked out of my house and stuff, well, you know, if I made all those choices... Then, then that's not the judgment of God. That's not the punishment of God. That's me sowing and reaping. But that doesn't mean that every financial crisis is the result of somebody's poor choices. 
Similarly, is it possible for me to abuse my body and end up in poor health as a result? Of course it is. But does that mean that everybody that's sick, it's their fault? Of course not. What this shows is that both of these positions, blaming the will of God or blaming the person, those things are oversimplifications. Everybody say oversimplification. And if you apply them dogmatically, you'll hurt people. Amen, Pastor. (laughs) Why do we oversimplify? I'll tell you why. Because complexity bothers us. It is a big pain to recognize that each situation is different and that there are complex reasons for why things are, go- why things are going on and why people have the problems that they do. And we tend to only have patience for complexity within our, our thing that we're interested in. I love theological complexity. Now, sometimes it gets so big that I... I oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to look at that anymore. But I got to press through because that's my calling. But I don't have I don't have tolerance. I don't want to know about medical complexity. Personally, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I know actually it's interesting to me. But but Molly Molly is a physical therapist. She has a doctorate degree, and and you know, we went through this school, and she showed me all this stuff, and I, I, it's interesting to me. But do you know the more you learn about the human body? It stresses me out because it is a miracle that that thing works. It can go wrong in so many ways. I mean, it can. And the more you, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, you know, if I asked you, how is it possible for you to raise your hand? You'd say, well, it's easy. You just raise your hand. Well, no, I mean, I mean, there's all these muscle fibers that have got to fire in order. There's neurochemical impulses that have got to get from your brain the right way. There's, you, it's a miracle we're not all just, you know, just not in control of our bodies. And, all, and I don't want to think about that complexity. Because I don't have time to be thinking about that. I've got to just move my arms. But it's Molly's job to figure out why people's bodies move the way that they do. And so she can focus on that and bring health and, 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 and help people. Right? But we tend, we, tend to only, we tend to oversimplify stuff that is outside of our personal interests. Therefore, when people have problems that are outside our personal interests, we tend to reduce their problems down to a couple factors and say, well, look, if you just did A, you'd be better. That was too honest. All right, what does God, what does God say about Job's situation? Let's read Job. God makes two arguments, and they, here's what's interesting. They absolve both God and Job of the blame. Let's look at Job 38. Uh, Job 38 and 39 make the first argument. I'm just going to read verses 4 through 7 or 8 here real quickly. God shows up in a whirlwind and he talks to Job and he says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Who laid the measures thereof, if you know? Or who has stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations of the earth fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? 
when the morning stars sang together and all the sun shouted for joy. Who shut up the seas of the doors and when it broke forth and, and et cetera, et cetera. And he goes on and describes all this stuff in creation. What he's doing here is he's saying, Job, have you noticed how gigantic my creation is and how small you are? How complex and, and infinite my creation is and how finite your brain is? Have you noticed that, Job? What God is doing is he's saying, basically, Job, it's impossible for you to arrive at an exhaustive conclusion regarding why this specific evil thing happened. Because the world consists of billions of free agents all interacting with one another in complex ways that you can't fathom, and therefore you trying to puzzle out in your brain, apart from me giving you revelation, it's folly. Why would he... Now, this is hard initially for us to accept at first because, because we want to simplify everything, but let me give you just an example. Pretend for a moment that you, you leave church here and you get on 435 and you're driving down the highway and there's a car... Well, actually, let's do it on Monday. So you're driving on Monday because it screws up my analogy if it's today. So anyway, you're driving down the highway on some day and there's a car in front of you that is two seconds in front of you. The car all of a sudden stops short and then you ram into the back of that deal and both you and the other driver are seriously injured and also your cars are messed up. How many of you agree that's a bummer? That's, I mean, that's an evil situation. I don't want that. You don't want that. Nobody wants that. Why did that happen? In our reductionary thinking, we tend to say, well, it happened just because that guy in front of me, that darn guy in front of me, he, he stopped short. And certainly that's a big piece of the puzzle. But it's actually far more complex than that. Why was that guy there? Why didn't he leave his house two minutes earlier or two minutes later? If you study the thing out, you find out, well, that guy left his house ten minutes earlier than he normally does because he had to get to his work early for a meeting because he works at this manufacturing company where they manufacture a particular product, and overnight, this product had been part of a viral video on YouTube. And this viral video took place because of these complex algorithms on Facebook and Instagram and social media, and they showed it to a lot of people, and, and millions of people operating independent from one another liked it and shared it. And all of a sudden, this product, is, it's everywhere. And this guy who's in charge of the manufacturing plant, he has to get to work early because of this to have a meeting about how they're going to make enough of these things to meet the demand. That's why he's there. Why are you there? Well, you're riding two seconds behind that guy because in, in high school, your driver, his driver's ed teacher told you that two seconds was a safe distance. But for complex reasons... Your brain wasn't fast enough to react to the slow car in front of you. And even though you were riding a safe distance, supposedly you, you didn't make it. and You ran into the back of it. Now, that's why that car's there. But, but why did he stop short? Well, there was a deer. 
And the deer jumped out in front of him. Well, why on earth is the deer there? Why is he there at that exact moment? Well, you know, who knows? Well, I'll tell you why. If you're God, here's why. There was a clap of thunder that scared the deer, and the deer ran out there. Why was there a clap of thunder right at that exact moment? If you were God and you could trace the causal chain back to its origination point, you would find that in Africa, three weeks ago, a butterfly flapped its wings that triggered a causal series of events culminating in a thunderclap, which, which scared a deer, which made the deer run in front of your car and run in front of that car, and then he stopped short, and then your brain wasn't working right, and you didn't slam on the brake, and you slam. Man, why'd you get in that car wreck? I have no idea. Yeah, there's, yeah, there was a butterfly. It's all the butterfly's fault. If, you, if you've catch my analogy, that's called the butterfly effect. Anybody heard of that? It was a bad movie with Ashton Kutcher. Before that, before that it, was a, it was a short story by Ray Bradbury about a guy that went back in time and he accidentally stepped on a butterfly and killed it, and he wasn't supposed to change anything, but he stepped on this butterfly. When he got back to the future, they had elected a terrible president instead of a good one. What this illustrates is a thing in science called chaos theory. Chaos theory is basically the concept that there are so many variables in life that you, you can't exhaustively predict what's going to happen. That's why the weatherman can't get it right. There's just, he, can, he can predict with some accuracy, but there's just too many variables. And apart from God giving you some kind of word of knowledge or illuminating you, it's impossible to come to an exhaustive explanation of why certain bad things have happened. But the mystery, here's the amazing thing, the mystery is not in the will of God. The question is not, why did God want this? The mystery is, what are the complex series of, of interactions of all these zillions of, of cells and electrons and stuff in our universe all colliding with one another? How did all those variables play out that resulted in the situation I'm in? That's where the mystery is. That's actually what God is saying here. You say, I don't know how you got all that from that. Well, just, just read it. What God's saying is, I made a big universe. It's really complex, and you don't know what's going on. You weren't there when I created it. But it's not my fault. Everybody okay? Again, we tend to have little tolerance for complexity outside our field of interest. I want somebody else to deal with the medical complexity. I, I, I was disturbed when I learned the way that they were... Now, I know a lot of you have had knee replacements. Don't watch a video about that <laughs> beforehand. Because, I, mean, I mean, they cut the deal out, and then they get this hammer, and they just beat this deal until it fits in there. I thought it was some nice, pristine, pretty thing. It's messy. And it's complex. And, you know, what's amazing is my wife, who, who's had... Years of training and years of experience, people will come to her 
And they'll say, I have blank musculoskeletal problem. What's wrong with me? I have pain right here. What's the problem? And, you know, Molly will come home to me and she'll say, you know, a lot of times I'm thinking, I don't know. Why? Because she'll acknowledge the complexity inherent in that situation because she studied it. That's a good word. (laughs) What else does God say? This is the best part. Job 40 and 41, he makes a transition and he makes a different argument. In Job 41 verses, we'll read the first part and then we'll, we'll just read one through eight here real quickly. He says, can you draw Leviathan with a hook or his tongue with a cord which you let down? Can you put a hook through his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak soft words over you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you bind him for your maidens? Shall the companions make a banquet for him, etc., etc.? All right. He says, can you deal with this thing called the Leviathan? For most of my life, I thought he was just continuing his argument about the complex nature of creation. And I thought the Leviathan was probably like a whale or something. The Leviathan is not a whale. In ancient Near Eastern literature, Leviathan was a cosmic chaos monster that they believed, in ancient Near Eastern people, they believed that this deal was a a giant sea snake and it had its, its tail wrapped around the earth and it had multiple heads and it was all the time threatening to destroy the earth. It represented for them these encroaching forces of evil and chaos that were trying to destroy the planet. God had, and this is why, like, the way they thought about the world is that the sea is, it's chaotic, it's scary. And, you know, we we tend to think, well, they were just, they were just scared of the water. No, they didn't see a distinction between the natural realm and the physical realm the way that we do. They believed that in the water, that's where the demons lived. And you know what? They weren't totally wrong about that. (laughs) To them, that represented this spiritual plane where there are evil forces. Look at Psalm 74 really quickly. You can see this. This is talking about when God created the earth and also when God um, divided the waters to, to let the children of Israel through in the Red Sea. Look at Psalm 74, verses 13 through 15. It says, You did divide the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the dragons in the water. What's a dragon represent in the Bible? Anybody read Revelation? It represents the devil. You broke the heads of the dragons. You break the heads of Leviathan in pieces. You gave him meat to the people. You did cleave the fountain of the flood. You dried up the mighty rivers. What he's saying here is that that 
part of creation was God had to push back the forces of chaos and expose the land. So this was a literal thing, but it represents a spiritual reality, which is that there are evil spiritual forces that are trying to destroy the earth, and God has to war against them. Now, I don't think that there's literally a demon that has multiple heads with its tail wrapped around. Maybe there is. I don't know. The point isn't that. The point is that there are created beings that are spiritual in nature that are evil. There is a real devil. And if you read the first chapter of Job, it's clear there's an adversary. And what's God saying here? He's saying, because he, Job would have understood this. Job knew God wasn't talking about a whale because Job was an ancient Near Eastern person. He knew what the Leviathan was. It's this evil monster, this cosmic chaos monster. What God is saying then is that both Job and his friends were wrong. This bad stuff did not happen because of God's will, but it wasn't Job's fault either. What happened to him was the result of a cosmic war between God and demonic forces, and this was played out through the infinitely complex dealings of free agents. Well, I don't know if that made sense to anybody. The, the Leviathan... God had to break its head. God has to war against these things. There was something else I was going to say about that. Go back to Job real quickly. Well, I don't know. Anyway, point five. There is mystery, therefore, regarding why specific evil incidents occur. I don't, I don't know... Why I don't you know people? Why did this happen? To, boy, I don't know. I know it's not God's will. I know He didn't bring it. The mystery isn't why did God wish it. It's what are the infinitely complex set of variables that led to this occurrence. Once you accept that, you can stop blaming God, but you can also avoid blaming people. Avoid blaming victim blaming. Now, I mean, sometimes people need to take responsibility for their actions and change certain behaviors if they want their life to get better. We understand that, right? But at the same time, the devil is real and the devil attacks people. And God's at war with these chaotic forces. This is what I was going to say. The reason there's no sea in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens and the new earth, anybody read that? The reason there's no sea is because they thought of the sea as this evil, chaotic force. The point is, there's no more chaos in the new creation. All that's done away with. In, charism in charismatic circles, you know, we believe in healing. We love to pray for the sick. But this helps people because, you know, sometimes people... people aren't healed for whatever reason, and then people say, well, we ought to blame God. Well, no, we don't need to blame God. And then they say, well, we ought to blame the person. Well, no, we don't need to blame the person either. We can, we can say, look, there's mystery. I don't understand everything going on under the sun. I know it's not God's fault. And we can pursue wisdom. 
from the Lord. We can ask the Lord for why this is going on. And sometimes, you know, one time I was praying with a lady and she wasn't getting healed. And then the Lord showed me something specific about her past. And it was like a key that unlocked a door. And then she got healed. So I love things like that. That, that helps. All right. But what I'm searching, I'm not searching the will of God to understand the mystery. I know God's good. God has, has you know, declared. He wants us to be blessed and prospered and helped and God only wants good for us. So I don't need to search His will to understand the mystery. I'm trying to search creation. I'm trying to search people's hearts. I'm trying to understand why things are happening down here. And sometimes I just have to humble myself before the mystery and say, I don't know. And that's okay. I know this is bothersome sometimes to some people because what I'm saying is that we can't necessarily exhaustively explain every situation. But all theodicies appeal to mystery. I'm just saying the mystery is down here, not in in the Lord. You say, well, what do you do about that, Pastor? What you do is you focus on what you can control. I can control what I believe. I can control what I say. I can control me on a good day. There have been some days I haven't controlled me very well. I can't control you. I can't control other people's decisions. And there's all kinds of things going on in the spirit realm that I'm not even aware of. And sometimes I'm happy about that. Unless God shows me. And so in order to stay sane, I have to take responsibility for what I can control and then I have to let go of the burden of trying to fix things I can't. And this, I think, is a good way to live. This allows you to stay sane inside the warfare theodicy. It means bad things happen sometimes for different reasons that we don't always know, but we know God's good, so I can maintain that. I can believe in a good God. It's not His fault. I don't have to be mad at God. But at the same time, I don't have to take blame on myself that I'm not responsible for There are a lot of things in faith circles that people take responsibility for that you just shouldn't, and it'll kill you if you keep doing it. Because you can't, you can't control other people. You can't control what's going on in people's hearts. Half the time, you can't... <laughs> can we just be honest? Half the time, we aren't good at controlling what's going on in our own hearts. We need to work on that. Worry, let all the other stuff worry about itself. So what's the point of Job? The point of Job is neither Job nor his friends had any idea what they were talking about. It wasn't God's fault. It also wasn't Job's fault. There's a devil. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. There's a real devil. There's real chaos. Yeah. Yeah. There really is. I know it's not comforting, so lock your door. <laughs> but I think it's more comforting, actually. Because what it means is God's good. God doesn't will the evil. And God's going to overcome it. And it also means that he's so loving that he was willing to take the risk to let you have free will. He was willing to let you have free will. That means that when you choose to serve God, it's real. It's real means something. It's not fake. It's not because he forced you. 
you sing, I love you, Jesus, and you mean it, you really do mean it. There's not something inside you forcing you to do it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful decision that you made. And that's what God wants. People that will voluntarily love Him this way. Just like all of you. You don't want to be in a relationship with somebody that's forced to be there. I mean, I have one of those Alexa things, and she's cool. But after a while, you realize it's a robot. It doesn't mean anything. Your relationship with God actually means something. All right, let's stand up. My prayer team can come down here. I'm going to pray for everybody. If you need personal prayer, you can come down in just a second. I said a lot of stuff. Hopefully that helped you. You're not required to agree with me about any of that. That's just my opinion. My point in teaching all this is just to help you sort through what you believe. But I believe God's good. I believe He's in a battle with the evil, and I believe He's going to overcome it. But in the meantime, we're down here and sometimes we're caught in the crossfire. So if you're in the crossfire, you might need some prayer support. So you can come down here and receive prayer and we'd love to agree with you. I'm going to pray for everybody. Father, we love you this morning.